Hello and welcome to Brits on Flicks, your monthly movie podcast where we discuss, dissect and deliberate a movie of our choosing. Last month we chose the fantastic The Matrix to discuss. So Brian, why don't you give me a little bit of history with the, your history with The Matrix? Well, there was one film in 1999 that everyone, including myself, was really hyped up for, which, which was waiting for. And it weren't The Matrix. It was Star Wars, The Phantom Menace. Um, not even the huge Star Wars fan at that point, but even I was caught up in the, you know, blimey, Star Wars, this is going to be big. Um, and then <clears throat> this little film just kind of came out of nowhere. The first that I heard anything about it like I'd, I'd never I didn't even know it was in production I didn't know who the Wachowskis were um I got a, a, an issue of Empire magazine I flipped it open and I saw those five red stars five star film what's this Keanu Reeves a five star film sci-fi what what on earth is going on here reading this review and I'm like I need to go and see this uh, so I, I went, I took my brother, went with him, and we both just sat there afterwards thinking, Star what? Star, what's that other film we wanted to see this year? It was just like, boom. It's all anybody was talking about when it came out. Everyone who'd seen it was like, have you seen The Matrix? Have you seen The Matrix? Seriously, you've got to go and see The Matrix. Uh, and I think I went to see it about three times. I was just absolutely blown away by it um the question is you know that was then this is now it's 20 years later does it hold up as well uh so yeah we'll get into that but what about you what's what's your history with the film um much your same like i I, i'm trying to remember back and i'm a bit fuzzy i don't know if i've seen bound before it or after it um but even if you did it's, it's in no way connected to the Matrix, there's, there's extremely different movies. I, I went to see The Matrix. Mm. Um, had seen the bullet time things and thought it looked cool. Uh, and when the movie finished, you're just sitting there, mouth agape. You've just been steamrolled by something so tremendously awesome. Uh, something that was just pitch perfect at the time that you just couldn't wait to talk about it, to, to gush about it, to go back and visit it again. Uh, and uh, I remember picking it up on DVD as soon as it came out. And again, that was one of those discs that I watched relentlessly. It was just so fantastic, a, a movie. And I've been looking to rewatch this for the longest while. You know, I, I do quite like the Wachowskis. I think they, they make some really good movies. Um, some of them are a bit... Not loved as much as they, they should be, in my opinion. Yeah. Some of them we can't yeah. forget about. <laughs> um, but um, I, I have been looking forward to revisiting this one. Um, I've tried to squeeze it on the podcast a couple of times, never quite made it, but that's obvious that you were waiting for the 20th anniversary, Brian, Um, and now we're here, and we get to talk about The Matrix. Mm. Yeah, I'm with you on the Wachowskis as well. Even when they make a failure, uh, most notably Jupiter Ascending, it's still interesting. There's always something in it that that is still worth a watch, uh, I think. Um, so yeah, yeah. I find I find one of their key strengths. Just before we jump into your synopsis, is even the Jupiter Ascending. 
anybody else makes that movie and it would feel um, just about the certain characters, but the Wachowskis make it feel like a huge world. You know, like universe, all these different kinds of species and strange creatures and all that near the end that come into it, and you're like, wow, this is a fully realised universe that they've created, and they tend to do that a lot in their movies. Whether it yeah. focuses on what's the characters or not, it feels grand. And it, and it was cut down considerably as well, so <clears throat> it does make you wonder just how much the studio interference really hurt that film. So, mm. yeah... Um, I would definitely be up for seeing an extended cut of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, yeah, okay. So, The Matrix. This is is the uh, the synopsis. So, uh, mostly cribbed from IMDb with a little policing of my own done to it. So, Thomas Anderson is a man living two lives. By day, he is an average computer programmer and by night, a hacker known as Neo. Neo has always questioned his reality, but the truth is far beyond his imagination. Neo finds himself targeted by the police when he is contacted by Morpheus, a legendary computer hacker branded a terrorist by the government. Morpheus awakens Neo to the real world, a ravaged wasteland where most of humanity has been captured by a race of machines that feed on humanity's electrochemical energy whilst imprisoning their minds with an artificial reality. As a rebel against the machines, Neo must confront the agents, super-powerful computer programs devoted to snuffing out the human rebellion. But in order to do this, Neo must re-enter the artificial world that the machines have created, a world simply known as The Matrix. You, you led me down so many false paths I thought you were going to finish up with The Matrix so many times um, this, this is a big one this is one that where you're like what, what do you start talking about first I, I'm going to open the floor Can you? where do you want to start on this one uh, well I think the thing that strikes what, that struck me first time around was the visuals so mm. You know, right off the bat, we're in this world in which crazy stuff is happening. You know, Carrie Ann Moss jumps into the air. She suddenly freezes. The camera spins round her. And this is an effect that, like, has been aped now so much. We've seen it in so many things. And even before The Matrix came out, adverts had already cottoned onto it, had already started using it. Um... Because obviously you've got to bear in mind that when this film goes into production and they're doing this stuff, it's a mammoth project, you know? It's, it's like two hours, 20 minutes long, whatever it is. So even before this film comes out, advertisers are aware of the emerging technology and they go straight for it. Uh, so I do remember seeing an advert with this with this thing in. So it's, it's like the level to which it kind of affected pop culture just from a visual standpoint alone you know and like how many films after this uh did you get heroes or anti-heroes all dressed in black long black leather coats you know i think most maybe not most notably but certainly the the one that jumped out at me straight away was underworld you know wouldn't Mm. Would we have had a film like that with that visual aesthetic 
if not for the Matrix. And it, it kind of, it brought the goth, it made kind of goth-style characters pretty cool and whatnot. Um, that didn't last long, thankfully, but <laughs> it, it uh, yeah, it did, it tapped into something, this idea. And, and I think, uh, along with other films in the same year, uh, you know, Fight Club, uh, and I think that a year later, uh, American Beauty, it tapped into this idea that I think um, our generation at the time were feeling, which was this kind of lost in society. You know, like the, you know, there's that line in Fight Club when he talks about how the generation before them had, you know, the Vietnam War, the generation before that had, you know, the Second World War. The, and it's just like our generation didn't have this kind of struggle, this, mm. this you know, the thing that brought us together. We, we're kind of lost in consumerism. And like the Matrix, the world that the, that the machines create is this mm. world that dulls the mind, that keeps us locked into that sense of never quite being satisfied but always chasing something that we don't quite know what it is, and we just kind of walk through life like zombies. And I think at the, just at, at the turn of the century, the turn of the millennium even, uh, yeah, the, the films seem to be kind of latching on to those ideas and dealing with them. And I think The Matrix does that in a really great way. Um, but primarily from a visual standpoint, I, like you see things that, at the time, we'd just never seen in this kind of movie. You know, we'd seen it in manga, seen it in anime, but they'd mm. taken that stuff that's in anime, very much inspired by that stuff, and they put it on screen, like live action. You know, it's like, whoa. Uh, you know, to, mm. quote, to quote Neo, whoa. whoa. You know? yeah. So, yeah, what about yourself? Yeah, it, it, the look about it is fantastic. It is extremely stylized, and you can see a lot of the influences that the Wachowskis had uh, coming through, and it was things that were starting to seep into the mainstream ever so much. And you had Akira, you had Ghost in the Shell, and things like that, trying to sort of move their way into it. It is very much um, a kind of superhero movie at the same time. The look of the movie, even now, it, it feels unique. You know, I, I don't think, even in the slew of imitators, I don't think anybody was able to capture uh, the way they kind of did the action or the extreme nature of it, bringing in um, Yun Wu-Ping, you know, from Asian cinema to, to choreograph all these fight scenes was a masterstroke, you know, and it was kind of the first time he, he'd seen, you know, filmmakers embrace world cinema and go, you know, I like this, I like that, I'm going to put all of these into this movie and come out with something that Western audiences hadn't really seen before. And it was that kind of uniqueness about it, even though it was cribbing on all these things that made it, for me, such a visual treat, you know, something that you're constantly just watching. And the way that they use angles and sets, the sets all feel like fully realised. They don't feel like somebody's threw up a wall and just quickly painted it. They feel lived in, the dilapidated buildings. It's all... as a feeling of um, almost like 50s, decor about it with the phones and the way the apartments are decorated and some of the people that are in it, yet they're wearing futuristic clothes and the, night, the nightclub is all kind of neon and techno and it, it just it's, it's all kind of mismatched the things they like and it works mm. I think it's tremendous um, even now, I, I think the movie looks great um, the, yeah. uh, 
I'm going to be hard pressed to hide this, but I'm just going to gush over this movie again. <laughs> I think I, I I was a bit worried actually when when because it it has been a while since I saw this. Uh, it's 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 been one of my favourite movies for some time. You know, ever, mm. ever since it came out, it's been in my top twenty, and yet I probably I, before watching it for this, I hadn't seen it for about. Maybe five years. Um, so I, I was worried that maybe with that passage of time, it might have dated, may not hold up so well. Um, and at, like maybe, I don't know, the first half hour, there's a lot of talking. Like it's, it's, it's quite heavy on the exposition because we're, we're being woken up to this world that, that Neo is trapped in. We don't really get a, a full-on proper kind of fight sequence until the training section. You know, we get a little bit of action dotted around here and there, but it's mostly just, yeah. It, it, I, so I was like, it, it, it doesn't. I don't know. I don't know about this. But then everything just starts to come together. The action starts kicking off, and all that setup starts to pay off. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's really great world building as well. You know, uh, it's just like. The effects from like going from the Matrix reality to the, to the real world reality when he wakes up in that kind of amniotic sack yeah. almost, and then looks down the towers and you see all the electricity coming up and stuff. Um, it, it's yeah, it, it does. It holds up. It holds up really well, and I, I just got back into it. I was a bit worried that I was going to be put off this time around by a lot of the, um, I guess, the, the, the mumbo-jumbo of different world religions and things like that that the Wachowskis have kind of incorporated because they, you know, they've taken lots of different philosophies from here, there and everywhere and kind of cobbled them together to make up this, this new thing. And I, I, I don't know, I, I didn't know if I would be as hot on that this time around given the passage of time but it works it works for me there's because there's universal themes that they've pulled from from all over the place that just yeah. kind of speak to you well, you know whether whether you're a person of faith whether you're just someone who's who's looking for a bit more meaning in the life whatever it just this yeah the film is a great discussion about <clears throat> you know the difference between belief and faith, and there is that line by um, <laughs> by uh, uh, Morpheus <clears throat> when he tells Neo. It's, it's when Neo has literally just finally figured it out that he is the one, uh, and he's a bit like, "Well, why?" Uh, the Oracle said I wasn't, and and Morpheus says, "Well, she told you what you needed to hear," uh, and he says, "There's a difference between knowing the path, which is belief." And walking the path, which is faith, which is action, you know, which is when you step out um, and not, not just, it's not just head knowledge, which is belief, you know, you can, you can say, oh, well, I know this to be the truth, um, you know, so if somebody tells me I'm the one, great, I know that's, I trust that person, I know I'm the one, but you, you're not, you're not acting on it, so you're not showing faith. And, and when, once Neo steps out and acts upon that knowledge, that's when belief turns into faith. And, uh, you know, you don't have to apply that to religion. That can be about anything. That can be about, 
you know, the, the belief to, to achieve something. You know, if you have a goal in life, you, you're ne- you're ne- you, know, you, you could believe all you want that that's what you want to do, that's where you should be, but until you step out and act on it and, and, and do something about it, you're never going to have that faith that kind of carries you into it. So, you know, and, and, and looking at that from a character that is stuck in this world or has come from this, this matrix world in which everything is just deadening his senses, everything is, you know, very much like the world we live in. Uh, mm. There is that sense that you, do, you need some kind of faith in order to drive you forward, in order to get you out of that rut. And, yeah, it's, it's a brilliant film in that regard, like I say, visually, character-wise, thematically. Um, any, anything in particular that comes out for you with, with regards to yeah, what it's saying? Yeah. I, I knew instantly where you were going to go with it, because you can see it in the movie, it's, it's there. <laughs> yeah. um, it, it means it's um, very similar, but less uh, sort of religious overtones with it. It means mm. it's more um, fate versus free will. Mm. Um, and the ability of choice, you yeah. know, is he going to choose to, to believe in fate and, and everything that happens is, is without out of his control? Is he going to take free will? Is he going to take charge of his own life and make the decisions and, and really grab hold of his destiny himself? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this time around as well, I really picked up a lot on um, the, the sort of punk attitude, the anarchist attitude, you know, the... Mm. There, there's all these authoritarian figures all over the place, whether it's his, his boss telling him that he's got an attitude, whether it be the agents that are constantly chasing him down, or you, you have this clear divide between um, Neil, who wants to buck the system, and the system trying to oppress Neil. Um, it's the whole punk attitude that I just liked, and, and this is, I think, why the movie isn't just like a flash in the pan. It isn't just all style. There is substance there to back it up. And it's the kind of substance, uh, the philosophy lessons that are in here, that have been debated for centuries. So it's always going to be prevalent. It's always going to be current and, and discussed things, you know. Um, there's a, a great belief about, um, I forget the, the, the philosopher's name, but it feels as if they took a, a big chunk of the plot um, from this guy's beliefs and, and, and thinking, you know, that the senses aren't always telling you the truth. Yeah. 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 Um, I think I read, I read up one thing and it, the guy was saying, like, you, you look at wax, it's got a texture, it's got a feeling, but you put it next to light, a flame, and it changes, you know, so yeah. you can't always trust your, your senses. You have to attune it with the body and with the mind and have your whole system working as one. And I think that's, mm-hmm. you know, like you say, it's, it's borrowed heavily from lots of different uh, places. Well, that, and, and that's a question that Morpheus asks at one point, isn't it? It's like, what is real? Mm. It's like, you know, it's, it's, if, 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 if what you can smell, what you can feel, what you can touch, if, if that's what defines real, then the matrix is no less real than, you know, the real mm. world, so to speak. So... It is the idea that actually reality yeah. is defined by your senses. Whatever, t- what what's telling you, it, what your senses are mm-hmm. telling you is real. So. But 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 that, but that as well. When you have Morpheus, you know, telling Neil, hmm, you think that's air you're breathing, or, mm. or asking, saying these kind of questions to him. Morpheus isn't just offering up, you know, like this is his belief. You know, how am I trying to say this? 
how do we know that the reality is indeed reality? Mm. Why is that the reality that he's believing? Why is he not questioning that world as well? Yeah. Could there be another form of the Matrix where mm. somebody appears to Morpheus and goes, you think yeah. you've escaped the Matrix? Why don't you take one of these pills? And then next minute, it, it's, it's Russian nesting dolls of similar situations yeah. within similar situations. It's the, the whole... Yeah. I mean, there's you, a universe you, in your fingernail type yeah, of like you, you, you could technically like if the Wachowskis wanted to come back and make another Matrix film they could essentially wake Neo up again mm. and, and you find out that actually all the stuff that he went through in the Matrix was itself the Matrix that actually Morpheus himself is a character mm-hmm. within the Matrix designed to, to give someone that sense of purpose. You know, you, you could have this never-ending stream in which you, you keep waking up and you never truly know what reality is. So. Yeah, the Matrix is real. And I'm just starting to get any crazy stuff because I don't know why. <laughs> why not? The Matrix is basically supercomputers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they can do quantum mathematics in, in fractions of a second. They can figure out everything easily they're in full control of this world so why is our characters like the oracle could that be part of the matrix you know because the matrix must know that that's not a character that's in and out and running about uh, and doing things it's there and it seems to be a focal attention for um, the rebellion so to speak yeah well i mean we do find out the answer to that of course when we get to the sequels but um, if you know, if you're just taking on this film alone, uh, we don't get an answer. So mm. yeah, it is. It is. It's amusing. Is she human? Is she a part of the system? Mm. It yeah. At this point, we don't know. Um, yeah. where, so it, where, it could be. It, it could be a movie that has a story and ends, and you can go, great, good mm. guy became the, the the hero he was going to be, saved the day. Or you could go like, well, hang on, let's let's. You know, dig a little bit more into this. Mm. Um, you don't have to. You can take it either way you want. That's mm. the, the rewarding thing about this movie. You can watch it several times and take different things from it each time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it 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 is just dense. It's re- it's really dense. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, like you can come at it from so many angles that there's always something in there for everyone if if you're willing to look and if you if you you know you're willing to dig into it. Uh, so. Yeah, mm-hmm. great stuff. Um, what about what about characters then? Who's who's your favourite character in the film? My favourite character is um, Agent Smith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, it's Hugo, Hugo Weaving's delivery is is brilliant. Yes, it is. But it's also a character who is questioning his role within the system as well. It's never really uh, focused on too much, but there is moments where he's asking questions where he is unplugging himself from the rest of the agents. He is questioning things to a degree. He is the top of the food chain, uh, and you can almost see the beginnings of a kind of God complex uh, happening there, um, which I think is... It's blinking, you miss it stuff. You always, when you rewatch it, you start to catch these kind of things, and it's... That's yeah, there's, there's this, the scene in particular where the first time I watched it, I was like, what an odd scene, what an odd exchange, uh, which is when he's just been questioning Morpheus. Mm. Like you say, he takes his earpiece out 
Uh, he, t he, t he tells the, the other agents, the other two agents, uh, give me a few minutes alone with him. <coughs> they're, they're a bit okay. But they leave, <coughs> and he, he takes his earpiece out, and then he gives this speech. It's a really great speech in which Smith essentially equates humanity to a virus. Yeah. Um, and his, his rationale for it is actually... Can't argue with it, you know. Um, the way he describes it, yeah, we, we we pretty much are a virus. But when stuff starts kicking off, because Neo and uh, Trinity come to rescue Morpheus, the, the other two agents come in, and there's just there's just this little weird exchange between them, like Smith was up to something he shouldn't have been up to. And I, and I, the first time I watched it, I was always like. What's, what's with the weirdness? What's with the weird exchanges? He, he told them he was going to question himself, you know, and they're, and they're asking what's he, what was he doing? Uh, I just, I, and I didn't get it first time around. And it was on later watches that I was like, oh, I get it. He's, he's losing the plot here. He's like, he's, he's, he's getting a sense of individuality. He's getting mm -hmm. a sense of, like when he's talking to, to Morpheus, and you see this kind of rage building inside him, like, he, like genuine disgust. You know, he wipes that sweat off Morpheus's head. Like he's literally repulsed and physically disgusted by Morpheus. Um, and it's not an act. It's, this is a genuine moment in which he's coming clean, that he's confessing. And that is an emotional moment for him. It, you know, he's expressing emotion. So, yeah, like you say, you see the birth there of this, this kind of, like he himself is almost like the flip side to Neo. Um, he needs to get to the real world. He wants out of this system. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a great kind of commentary on individuality and freedom of expression and all that. So, yeah, great scene. And he's a badass villain. Mm. I, I just I love that delivery. I love the way he speaks. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it's a slowed down, exaggerated words. Mm. You don't draw them out. He's in no rush mm. when he's, he's talking. It's all precise, and mm. I, I think it's fantastic. Great character. Oh. Um, we, we do get the rest of Neil's clan as well, um, which are kind of most of them are, are cannon fodder. Disposable, <laughs> disposable. Yeah. yeah, it's the typical red shirts. Mm. Um, and then you get Joey Pantolano as, as, as the typical bad guy, who, which he but, does. But, but, yeah, like, again, like, he, you, you, even though he's a bit of a scumbag, you get it. You, you get why, you know? Mm. It's like, if, it, if it, that, that is something we would, I, I would imagine we would all consider. If you've been woken up to this world that is just harsh and dank and dark and without flowers, without trees, without life, you know, and, and, but, but, but it's real. Or you can go back to this fake world, but you can have whatever you want. And it's like, yeah, actually, that's, that's when you will start to question the validity of reality, I guess, um, over a, a uh, yeah more imaginary world so so I understand his character where he's coming from completely mm. 
Now you were saying that you found it quite um, talky at the start of it. Um, mm. I, I I didn't really feel that, but I think it's been it's been a little while since I watched it, so I was I was hooked right from the start. I, I felt the pacing was ridiculously quick for this this kind of movie. You know, it's two hours something mm. in, in length. And you get a lot of information at times, you have to learn the whole system, to find everybody's characters where they are, and it just goes at blistering pace mm. and, and has these brilliant, absolutely brilliant action set pieces, but it is all driven along by this techno score that, in a, a, a time where you don't really get too many themes that stick in your head, you know, that is one that is always permanently playing in the back of my head somewhere. Um, the theme music for the Matrix, I think, is great. Mm-hmm. But what about the music? Is it something you? Is it, it is a bit overbearing and in your face? Yeah, it's it's not my kind of thing. If I'm if I'm being perfectly honest, uh, I I think it's great within the context of the film. Like I never mm. sit there rolling my eyes or anything. Um, but I've never felt the need to go out and buy the soundtrack. I know a lot of people do really love the soundtrack to this. Um, and I'm also very adverse to Marilyn Manson, so I have no compulsion to to listen to a soundtrack that has a song from him on it. But uh, yeah, it, it, I, I enjoy the music within the framework of the film. Don't need to listen to it outside of it. Uh, okay then. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't offend me. It's just, yeah, I, I'm more of an orchestral man myself. Um, I well, think... I'm not really thinking so much about the songs. I'm just thinking more about the say, the, the music that drives this, the set pieces along. You know, the mm. ba bam, ba bam, ba bam, ba bam. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 a good one. That's the one that sticks out. But it, it is very techno, and I mm. don't, I don't think I've ever really been that much into techno. About as close <laughs> as close to techno as I'll get is is the soundtrack for Tron Legacy. But I think that's more. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm not. I'm not very good at defining music genres, but I'm, I'm not sure Daft Punk are quite techno, but I don't know. Um, pass. Yeah, pass. Yeah, pass. <laughs> Moving on. Um, so. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I, I suppose, now I, I can't really remember them too much, but I suppose we should touch on the sequels a little bit. Yeah, yeah, can do. Um, um, so you, you're probably, because I'm not a fan, I see. When I first saw The Matrix Reloaded, that was a really dense film. There's a lot of information going on in Reloaded. Like, we, we, we get so many ideas again thrown at us that by the time I got, we got to the end of that film on the first time watch, I, I just. I was blown away by it, um, and I I thought that that, that revolutions was going to be it was just going to be mind blowing, um, and I don't mean from the from the action side of things, I I mean from the ideas, you know, just like we, we've had so so many great ideas in the first one, and then the second one seemed to just blow that even further up, mm. like filling even more ideas, uh, you know, particularly that sequence when Neo meets the architect, uh, you know, that conversation between them is the kind of conversation that can just make you go, oh! <laughs> um, but, but I felt like I was grasping it. I felt like I was grasping what was being said, 
but that there was still more. There was still more to come with regards to the ideas that was just going to be on, an, on another level. It was going to blow my mind. And then Revolutions comes out, and it's just an action film. It's just action. Wall-to-wall action from start to finish. It's almost like the philosophy takes a back seat. And actually, that's the stuff that has kind of driven the films so much. You know? And I, I, I feel like, in actual fact, what this should have been was one three-hour film, not two films that were like two and a half hours each. And... The, 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 the invasion of um, Zion by the machines should, should have taken place a lot, lot sooner. We could have cut out a lot of that gumph in the train station with that guy on the, on the, the train who kind of keeps Neo from getting out. Could have done away with most of that. Um, and, and yeah, and just got there faster because I think all the philosophizing... Um, all all the, the ideas, the meat, so to speak, is, is right there in Reloaded. <clears throat> and because you know there's another film coming, you expect more of that. And you just don't get it. It's just a lot of explosions, a lot of periphery characters finally dying. Um, especially that kid that no one really cares about. Uh, and yeah, it just it was a bit disappointing, it must be said. Now, I will say this. I have done a re-edit. Um, <laughs> I, I did take both those films, put them together, and I've edited them down to one three-hour film. It's, it's a little bit over three hours, if, to, to be honest. Um, and if I, if I do say so myself, it's a much better film as a result. Uh, so when I come to watch the sequels, that's the one I watch. I don't actually watch... The original cuts anymore i watch that cut uh i i've done the same thing with kill bill and i've do, i did do the same thing with twilight breaking dawn but i won't be watching that i did that more for more for a technical exercise than anything else to try and prove to to, to someone that yeah please but. tell me that you called it the low matrix <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the, the sequels it's been a long while since i've seen it but i i remember not been a fan of, of Zion mm, yeah. or anything kind of outside the Matrix, you know, whenever it's in that world, the Matrix world, yeah. I'm, I'm buying into it, I'm sold, everything outside of that. So yeah. I, I, I will, there is one scene in Zion, there's a couple of, the main thing in Zion, and I lose it from my cut, is the dance. You know, the, the big speech that's kind of cut together with a dance and the weird techno, the, the weird like dr tribal drum beat music, it just, and that horrible sex scene between Neo and Trinity. It was just like, ah, I got rid of that. It doesn't need to be there. But there is some scenes in there that are pretty good. And the primary one is the one between Neo and this, this guy. I can't remember the actor's name, but he's an older guy. And they meet on this balcony that overlooks the, the engine that kind of runs the city, that keeps it going. Mm -hmm. And they have this conversation. And just the stuff that this guy says, I, th I think is very relevant. It's, it's got some nice ideas there, some good philosophies. Uh, and I kept that in. I, th I think it was a good sequence. So, uh, you know, there are some stuff there that I do like. Mm. 
yeah, I, it's one of those um, trilogies now with franchises where I am I'm more than happy just to visit the one that I like mm-hmm. and and leave it there. You know, yeah. I think the only other one or the one that other pops to my mind as well is the Mummy trilogy. You know, I watched the first one. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, got ya, yeah. Just leave, for, yeah, totally with you on that. Totally with yeah. you. Um, Candyman as well. Candyman. <laughs> it's, it's been a long way since I watched any of the Candyman streets. Oh man, yeah. So is that us finished with the Matrix then, Brian? Uh, well, I, I will just say, there's, there's something I, I, I did want to say. We, we talked about characters that we liked. Hmm. Characters we don't like. Um, like, we, we've not really given any negatives. I'll, I'll, give, I'll give one. There are, there are a couple of characters that I didn't really care for. One of them, the primary one being the, the young guy. I think he's, he's the first to cop it, the first to get killed. He kind of comes out with these two massive guns and then just gets shot. But there's that conversation that he has when he's kind of chewing at Neo's ear and he starts talking about chicken and how do you know that it actually tastes like chicken? And it's just... He's one of these people who's got a rubber face and it just... The way he talks and his expressions on his face and the way he's just like writing Neo's mush there. I, I just wanted Neo to punch him, quite frankly. There was just something really irritating about his face and about the delivery of his lines. Um, so when he was the first to get killed, I was like, get in. So, yeah, but beyond that, that's... Oh, one shot as well that... Even when it came out in 1999, I thought, that looks terrible. And given, the, given, given how good the rest of this film looks, how, how much they nail it, you just kind of feel like there's no excuse for that shot. And it's the shot where Trinity jumps across the building and she kind of does this... And then crashes through the window... And you can tell it's this really nasty green screen and you're like, oh, like we've literally just seen the shot where she jumps up and the camera goes round her and it's like, this is mint. And then moments later you get that shot and you're like, oh, dear. Um, 1978 uh, Superman. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, And the final thing that I will say is um, that... With regards to the visuals in this film compared to the sequels, there is a ton more CGI in the sequels than there is in the first one. The first film actually wasn't that big a budget. It was a pretty small budget, actually, for what they do. Yeah, considering this is a... You know, you look at the effects. Like, if, if, you know, if, if you said to someone, how much do you think this cost today... You'd look at it and you'd say easily one hundred million. I would anyway. I think that that's a hundred million dollar movie right there, and it ain't at all. Um, and they, because of that lower budget, they do so much practical, particularly the fight scenes. All the fights are practical, mm-hmm. all of them. And yet, when you get to those sequels and they get that massive inflated budget that just literally just skyrocketed. It was a ridiculous amount of money that they spent on those sequels, so many of the fights in those sequels look bloody terrible. Because yeah, yeah, they, they, there's so many Mr. 
Agent Smith. Yes, and it's just it's to the film's detriment because, like when I first saw Reloaded, I, I you know the fight looked a little bit off, but it was like I get it. There's so many Agent Smiths; they have to do it that way. But over the years, man alive, that has not aged well. That scene in Reloaded when he fights all those Smiths does not look good at all, um, and 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 it makes you crave it. It makes you long for the, like that fight scene between Smith and Neo in the first one at the end, okay. where it's all practical. You feel the blows; they have real impact. That's what I want. I don't want two CGI characters fighting each other. I want two real people doing it. So yeah, big step down on the sequels part for 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 having quite simply too big a budget. Um, I think if there's any negative for me, it's maybe just some of the CGI screen uh, scenes, uh, mm. mostly with the what are the things called, the little squid things. Yeah, squids. Yeah, I think squids. That's, yeah, that's what they call them. Yeah. Um, don't, those don't look too great, but that's mm. a product of its time. So yes. you know you can't really be too down on it. Shall we get to wrap ups? Do it. Um, okay, Matrix. Five out of five. Tremendous movie. Um, it's lasted the test of time for me and I can see me going back to it again and again it's pretty perfect to be fair done definitely yeah my wrap up absolutely brilliant phenomenal seminal uh, sci-fi film uh, that has aged well even though the sequels haven't uh, you know surprisingly given how much more expensive they were it's the prime example of less is more Focus on story, focus on character, focus on practical work, and you turn out an absolutely brilliant film that basically knocked Star Wars out of the water in the year that it came out. Uh, yeah, five out of five from me, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, last month on Brits on Flix, we decided that we were going to do top five science fiction movies. Then Cy- Cyber, the- cyber. <laughs> It was, it was science fiction then, Brian blew that out of the water. So I had to think of something at the seat of my pants, and we chose cyber sci-fi movies. And when we were trying to cut our lists, we realised that, yeah, completely balls this situation. <laughs> there was no other way to put it, so we had to think, put our heads together. We came up with a list, but I don't think either of us were happy with them. Where were we, Brian? Mm, no, not, not spectacular. I did have five, but... Mm. Yeah, it, it's just, when you once you narrow it down to cyber sci-fi, you th- then get into a discussion about well, actually, how do we define cyber sci-fi? And I think we both kind of concluded that okay, it has to be computer-related. Like Terminator doesn't count. That's mach- yeah, it's machines. You know, it's it's robots that kind of thing. But cyber sci, you know, like cybernetics. But we're talking cyber sci-fi, so computers. You know going into a computer world, that kind of thing. Uh, like, you've got, like, Lawnmower Man and crap like that. Uh, you know, there's, 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 a, there's a few good ones, you know, but it, it's, let's just say it's, it's a small market, so... It was tough. So what um, we decided to do at the last minute, literally before we were about to start recording, was let's just change this up. Let's go simple and do top five Keanu Reeves movies because the guy has been in a lot of good movies. And it gives us a wealth to choose from. So that's what we did. So, ready to dive in. Will I start with number five? Yeah, go on. Okay, 
my number five is Point Break, the beginning of the bromance movie. Um, terrific. Catherine Bigelow directs the hell out of this. We have um, Keanu Reeves as a totally tubular uh, FBI agent. <laughs> Johnny Utah, who just doesn't belong there. Um, on this trail of bank robbers, it's fun. It's got some great action set pieces, the skydiving, the, the, the foot chase. Um, there is a love interest of sorts, but she gets jettisoned pretty quickly when she sets his googly eyes on Patrick Swayze. And <laughs> we get just a, a terrifically fun movie that is one of those movies that you can watch and tear apart, poke all the holes in it, but still walk away having enjoyed yourself watching it. Yep, absolutely. Uh, okay, uh, my number five is John Wick. First John Wick film. Uh, it's a film that I, I I wasn't that big on first time I saw it. Uh, <laughs> I did I didn't get to see it until months after it had been released in America because obviously I I, th- I think we got it the, the following year. Mm, yeah. um, and everybody had been talking John Wick up a storm like it was the single best action film ever made, and I I knew I had to see this film so. I watched it and I, I was, I don't know, I think I just, I just put it so, like, uh, you know, my expectations were so up there that I, I, I think I probably went into it looking for flaws, if I'm being perfectly honest. Um, and for some reason, it felt like there was far too much gunplay and not enough fisticuffs for right. my liking. Um, and yet, you know, like it's, it's, I, I, I gave it like a three and a half out of five. But then I, I watched it again on Blu-ray and I was blown away by it. It was like suddenly it clicked. And for some reason, it didn't feel like it was all gunplay this time around. I, I, there was a lot of fight sequences in mm-hmm. there, a lot of hand-to-hand combat. that I was like, was I sleeping through the first time when I watched this? Because this ain't the film that I watched or remember watching last time. Um, but no, like I, I got onto the hype train that, that second time around. Um, so, yeah, love it. Absolutely love it. Brilliant action film. Great character. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'd probably agree with you there, which is why John Wick's my number four. Now, I was sold in this movie as soon as I saw the trailer for it. And the reason I was sold on it was because of the sheer stupidity and poking fun at the premise behind these action movies. You know, you killed my dog, I'm going to kill your whole family, your whole gang, I'm going to take down this whole cartel and gang. It's bonkers, and it doesn't pretend to be anything else. I think it's it's down to the filmmaker's choice. They've made that choice to show that this is silly. This is just gratuitous violence for the sake of it, and they embrace it and deliver. Excellent. Okay, so my number four, basically R2... Are reversed because mine is Point Break. Um, <laughs> I, I <clears throat> is John Wick a better made film than Point Break? I, I don't know. It might be. It might be. Um, but I just, I feel like Point Break did something for the genre. It, it just and and the fact that it was directed by a woman as well it and, and i don't say that to belittle women but at the time this was made there simply weren't women 
working in the action genre as directors. You know, we're getting a lot more now, thankfully. And they're doing a good job with films like Wonder Woman, things like that. But, um, yeah, when Catherine Bigelow, you know, took on Point Break, it's kind of a question of name one woman who's directed a decent action film. You couldn't do it. So she comes out of the gate and makes a seminal action film, you know, something that is remembered, something that is has been homaged in many films, Hot Fuzz most Hot notably. Fuzz. You know, it, it, it became pop cultural reference, you know, a reference point. So, <clears throat> yeah, it's great. And like you say, that, that whole bromance thing and just the fact that Keanu Reeves' performance in it isn't that great and yet there's something about it that, that just works because he's a surfer dude and, you know, it, it's great. Great action sequences, a particular one being the foot chase when they're running through houses and just kind of, you know, taking it, yeah, literally running through people's living rooms and stuff um, and the camera's just following them the whole time on foot. It's, re it's really well filmed. Uh, mm -hmm. The action sequences are just really well done. And the whole thing with the masks is just like, again, it's, it's a bit of a pop culture kind of go-to. We've seen that kind of been referenced in other movies as well. Uh, yeah. yeah, I love it. It's a great film. Um, yeah, nothing more to say, really. Yeah. Uh, none of us mentioned it, but I suppose we should. This is the film that made Keanu Reeves an action guy. Mm. You know, absolutely. It, it yeah. took Bigelow's foresight to put him in here and make him that. Yeah. And uh, if anybody listens to my top fives regularly, you know there's always one that angers Brian, and I'm pretty sure this is going to be the one. So Brian, at number three, we have Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. You didn't even go for the first one. I, like, no, I'm I, not. I'm not a big fan of either. But like, you're taking <laughs> bogus journey over excellent adventure. Seriously, I am. I am. Wow. Um, okay. <coughs> Excuse me. I think excellent adventure is great. I love it. Um, it's it's fun, but it's kind of typical. You know that these two doofuses get a, a time machine. If they do a history report, they bring the guys back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've seen it. Um, Bill and Ted's bogus journey, it takes things to a ridiculous nth degree and creates even sillier situations that shouldn't belong. This is a, a kind of stoner comedy almost that parodies Ingmar Bergen. You know, it's crazy. It parodies it's Star Trek, um, all different kinds of things. It takes things on a more weirder level by having them, you know, talk to death, go on an adventure with death. It's... It's so much fun. It's so ridiculous. It is, on the surface, just silly comedy. But I feel it's a little bit elevated by some of the things that it tackles or inc includes with the, the poking fun. Out of the two Bill and Ted's movies, I think it's, it's the one I prefer. I do like them both. Okay. Over Point Break. Over John Wick. If I had to pick one to watch out of those three, I'd probably go for Bogus Journey. Seriously? Wild Stallions. <laughs> Man, okay. I, I, yeah. Whoa. Whoa. Bogus. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Um, okay. <Not> cool. <laughs> yeah. Ne neither uh, Bill and Ted film will be appearing on my list, as I'm sure you know. There we go. Uh, You've just invalidated your list. 
whatever. Uh, but uh, my number three choice is John Wick, Chapter Two. Uh, this, so this film is actually the reason that I went back and watched the first one. So I'd seen the first one. You know, wasn't quite as big on it as everyone else, even though I did like it somewhat. So I went to the second one, you know, people people bigging it up again. I'm like, I go into it with moderate expectations, you know. My, my expectations have been tempered after my reactions to the first film. I loved it. I loved every minute of it. I loved the world building. I loved that actually the, the film does take a bit of a while to get going, but it is setting up this world, uh, make enlarging it, I guess, from the first film. Uh, and, and then once the action kicks off, I mean, we do get a, a burst of action right at the beginning, but then between that and then the next action set piece, it's quite a long while. And a lot of people, I've, I feel, kind of didn't like that that much. Uh, but, uh, but, but once we get there, once that action kicks off, it doesn't stop, and it's brilliant. Really, really brilliant. Uh, and I was just like, like I said, I was blown away by it. Absolutely loved it. Um, and it made me want to go back and check that first film out just to see if, like, you know, was I wrong? And I watched it and I was. I was wrong. Uh, I still do like the second film a bit more, I think. I think I prefer the villains in it. I find the villains a bit more interesting. Um, but, uh but yeah, just incredible. Uh, really great sequel and cannot wait for the third one. So. Yeah. yeah. Don't have to wait long. It's this year at some point, isn't mm, it? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I think we're going to have crossover here for one and two again, Brian. Um, yeah, definitely. My, my one and two are interchangeable. They're both great movies, but there's just one that I... If I had a choice, I would pick one to watch more than the other one. Um, my number two is Speed. Um Tremendous movie again. The idea is just, it's just so good. Um, you know, it's simple, which usually is the city best movies. You know, there's a bomb in the bus, it goes above 50. It arms, it goes under 50, it explodes. Yeah. <laughs> what more do you need? And it's, it's so inventive and fun. And you get Sandra Bullock playing a great character as well. You get the people on the, the bus who actually feel like individuals you know don't just feel like typical canned fodder that you get in many of the other movies it's exciting action set pieces and we get Dennis Hopper as the villain who's always great and again this did spark a lot of a pop quiz hot shot you know type of moments (laughs) Um, which again great movies pop into the lexicon Uh, that did as well I thought it was a great movie Mm. yeah I agree. My number two is Speed as well. Uh, I, I did review this over on my channel um, sometime early last year. Uh, it is one of my favourite action movies of all time. And for me personally, I do hold it on the same level as Die Hard. A lot of people think I'm smoking crack for saying that. Um, you know, I, I did get some comments for saying that in my review. Uh, I, I absolutely loved Ironheart, but I absolutely love this as well. Just the concept, the characters. I actually warm to the characters more in this than I do to the characters in Die Hard. As much as I love John McClane in that first film, um, just this relationship between Sandra Bullock's character and Keanu Reeves, um, their chemistry, 
I just, yeah, I love those characters and the emotions that, like the scene in wh where she hits the pram that's full of cans, full of tin cans. She doesn't know it's full of tin cans until till it hits the ground, but that reaction from Bullock, you know, this, this is the film that made Bullock a star. Sandra Bullock wasn't a star until this film, and it's a good reason that this made her a star, because her performance in it is brilliant. It shouldn't be underestimated just because this is an action film. You know, it's, it's doing things on an emotional level that, that, that really get to you, that, you know, that not a lot of action films do. Um, so, yeah, for, for me, this is top-tier action, great villain, uh, great heroes. I love the stuff with uh, Jeff Daniels, the, the, the partner, uh, and and there's, there's there's a really interesting dynamic there because <clears throat> in any of these kind of films you always expect the partner to get killed, you know, and the, and then the <clears throat> the cop who's the main hero is like, I, I, you killed my partner, man! I've, I've, I've got to get revenge. And the thing is, because Jeff Daniels gets taken out of action so early on in the movie when he gets the bullet in the leg, so he's assigned to a desk job. You're never under the feeling that he's going to get taken out because he's not in any real danger at this point, you know. So when he does later in the film, it, it's actually quite a shock. It has it has impact because it's like, oh, so they they subvert your expectations there by taking him out of the game early on, only to suddenly put him back in the game at a later stage in order to have him, you know meet a tragic end so it's it's yeah it it's a really great film i love it it's brilliantly written jan de bont has never lived up to this as a director since he's never done anything close to being this good um so yeah it just goes to show you it's all down to the script uh, which which keanu reeves clearly uh had an indication of because he you know he was lined up for the second one. He saw the script and he went, no, thank you. So there's some wits about him there, you know. But, uh, yeah, Speed 2, brilliant stuff. Okay, uh, my number one, no surprise, is The Matrix, uh, for all the reasons we talked about. So rather than going about it, I'll ask you one question, Brian. Do you think Brad Pitt and Will Smith rue the day they turned it down? I think they absolutely do, yeah. Uh, well... Brad Pitt, not so much, actually, because he turned it down so he could make Fight Club. So yeah. be, being in either one of those movies, quite frankly, isn't something to, uh, to scoff at. Who was the other guy, sorry? Brad Pitt? Will Smith. Will Smith. What did he make around 99? Don't know. Mm, yeah. I, I think I Will Smith... <laughs> yeah, Will Smith might be regretting it, but Brad Pitt, not so much, because, let's face it, Fight Club... Amazing. Pretty good film. Uh, yeah, The Matrix, like we said, um, just absolutely brilliant film that deals with lots of philosophical ideas. You know, it, you can come at it from a religious aspect, you can come at it just from a philosophy on life aspect. Brilliant action, brilliant visuals, some really great characters, particularly Agent Smith. Just an all-round seminal science fiction film, which for someone like me, he loves his sci-fi, is just grade-A stuff. So, yeah, Matrix, number one, definitely a worthy choice. Excellent. 
so shall we move on to next episode? Let's. Uh, yeah. Uh, just before we do, I will just like to say to anyone out there who's listening, uh, if you like what you're listening to, please do go over to iTunes and give us a rating. You know, you just click that five stars, hopefully, uh, if you're that way inclined, and just just write a few comments. A short review doesn't have to be an essay. Just a few words to say. Uh, that, that you like listening to us, that you like what we do. It really would help us to get seen more and to get more people listening to the podcast. Uh, we'd really appreciate it. So, yeah. Uh, but other than that, let's move on to next month's episode. Uh, so this is the part of the show where one of us gives clues to five different films and the other one has to basically whittle four of them away until we're left with one, which will be next mm. month's reviewing choice. So, this month, I am the one giving out the clues, and Graham is the one who has to guess. <clears throat> so here we go. Number one. Living out of a hotel, a precocious six-year-old courts mischief and adventure with her ragtag playmates whilst bonding with her rebellious but caring mother. Number two. In a future megalopolis where crime and terrorism is rife, as is government corruption, one man becomes a monster as a result of the system that has enslaved him. The only person who can now stand in this monster's way is a young boy. Number three, a young boy is abandoned by his adoptive parents when he no longer suits their needs. Number four, one woman goes up against a multinational corporation when they refuse to take responsibility for their actions. And number five, when a young boy is abducted, it has terrible ramifications, which reverberate through the lives of his friends and family and last throughout adulthood. Okay, number four. I'm sure you said you were retiring that, right? You, you've had that umpteen times um, here. We're going to leave it in play just now. <laughs> number four. Yes, I'm sure it is. One woman goes up against a multinational corporation when they refuse to take responsibility for their actions. Well, maybe it's not, eh? Okay. Maybe I'm getting confused no. with something else. Number three, a young boy is abandoned by his adoptive parents when he no longer suits their needs. Yeah, I, th I think I'm going to get rid of number one. Okay. Number one, you have gotten rid of The Florida Project. Oh, that's a, that's a tremendous movie. I've still not seen it, but I bought it on Blu-ray, thanks to Luke Ryan kind of suggesting it in his Blu-ray update. Oh, so good. Mm. Bugger. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Do you want me to read give, any of them out again? Yeah, give me two, the monster one again. Okay, number two. In a future megalopolis where crime and terrorism is rife, as is government corruption... One man becomes a monster as a result of the system that has enslaved him. The only person who can now stand in this monster's way is a young boy. You see, that sounds familiar. 
I can't quite put a finger on it and then number three the abandoned orphan no ideas for that one uh, number four could be anything I suppose I'd jump towards Erin Brokovich which is something I would like to revisit uh, it was number five Number five, when a young boy is abducted, it has terrible ramifications which reverberate through the lives of his friends and family and last throughout adulthood. Mm, that, that sounds like a movie I've, I've seen. I think I want to get rid of that. That, that sounds like that Kevin Bacon one. It is indeed the Kevin Bacon one. It is Mystic River. Yeah, that's a hard one to watch, that. Mm. I, I don't know if I want to revisit that, to be fair. Okay, it's a great film. Great it's a great film, film. it is, yeah. but... Okay. Man. okay, so we have number two, three and four. So we've got... Um, in a future megalopolis where crime, terrorism is rife, as is government corruption, one man becomes a monster as a result of the system that has enslaved him. The only person who can now stand in this monster's way is a young boy. Number four, a young boy is abandoned by his adoptive parents when he no longer suits their needs. And number four, one woman goes up against a multinational corporation when they refuse to take responsibility for their actions. Okay, I'm going to get rid of three. Number three is AI, artificial intelligence. Right. <laughs> and that one is indeed one that I have tried to get on here for a few times and I'm running out of ways to uh, to to clue you into it so see yeah. this is this is where it gets really difficult you get it down to two and you're not favouring either you've got one where you think you know what the movie is but <laughs> in all honesty it might not be that and you might be up with something that you really don't want to face or do we go for the monster one, which sounds really kind of familiar? Uh, have I seen them? You've seen them. I've not seen one of them. Mm. Did I like them, do you know? <laughs> I reckon you did, yeah. I reckon you like both of them. Wow. So which one have you not seen? <laughs> so I, I've not seen the monster one. So yeah. <sighs> and it, yeah. yeah. Mm. What are you going to say there, Brian? <laughs> I was going to give another clue, but it, it, yeah, I'd pro probably best to leave it. Um, no, no, I'll take, I'll take all the clues you have. Well, I, I was going to say, like, bearing in mind I've not seen it, so I don't know, but the, the, the monster may not be a literal monster. It may be, a, you know, a figure of speech. Hmm. You know, so. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm really stuck. Um. I think I'm going to go for the one that he... Oh. See, I'm going to kick myself. This is Erin Brockovich. I'm going to get rid of four. <sighs> Number four is indeed Erin Brockovich. <laughs> 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 
It is a very good film, but you can always try and bring it back at some point. I, yeah. I, I, I have been looking to watch it again. One of Steven Soderbergh's best, I think. Um, yeah, I would love to do in a top five Soderbergh as well. Yeah, so, so would I. Um, but, uh, yeah. Okay, so you have picked number two, which is the seminal sci-fi film Akira. Wow. A film that I've, to this day, never seen. And being that I'm sci-fi mad, it is about time I got around to it. So, yeah. Mm. Akira. I, I don't know if you've seen it. I would imagine you have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it was did, about you, 20 years ago. Okay. Well, uh, I, I, I remember trying to watch it about 20 years ago. Uh, I think I saw about 10 minutes of it. And I was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not bothered. Another time, maybe. And I never got back to it since, so... I remember it being pretty incoherent. Right. But that okay. could have been me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it probably was. <laughs> That's exactly how I feel about it, to be honest. I, I, I feel like it's something... Uh, it's a hurdle I need to get over. I need to go back to it. Maybe my mind at the time just wasn't ready for it. But, uh, yeah, who knows? Me- Maybe this could be one of those occasions where a, a beloved film that is a classic, we come to it and we just think, what is everybody talking about? It's crap. Who knows? Mm. So, okay. okay. And the top five? The top five is the top five anime. So, so ma- okay. Manga slash anime, however you want to describe it. I'm sure there are probably people out there who would correct us on the difference between manga and anime, but, um, yeah, broad broad sweeping terms, manga, anime, however you refer to it. Basically, Japanimation, you know, so... Yeah, I mean, I definitely know what my top two are, straight away. Um, One of them loosely fits that term. Okay. Yes. Okay, I'm good. I'm good to go. All right. I'm excited. It's something uh, that I haven't seen. I've, I have checked out a few anime movies recently. It's been something I've been getting into, so I'm always interested to check something out. I have no way got a, a, a wide knowledge of, the, of, of this kind of genre. So it's always nice to try new things. We'll give it a shot, and hopefully it won't be as incoherent as I remember it. Yeah, I hope so. <clears throat> yeah. Excellent. So join us next episode. We will be discussing Akira and our top five anime, manga, slash Japanimation. <laughs> Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Brits on Flux.
Got this in the TV.